the first, second and third angels messages. Said my accompanying angel, the true understanding of these messages is of vital importance. The destiny of souls hangs upon the manner in which they are received. It's not if they're received, but the manner in which they're received. Now, the question is, do we understand the three angels' messages today better than we understood them in 1904? It's a very simple question, yes or no. Do we understand the three angels' messages better today? Well, let me read to you from Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 978, which was written in 1904. It says, the 14th chapter of Revelation is a chapter of the deepest interest. This scripture will soon, will soon be understood in all its bearings and the messages given to John the Revelator will be repeated with distinct utterance. If you think about that statement, what does that mean? What kind of understanding are we talking about? Is it a doctrinal understanding? Do we not understand the doctrines behind the three angels' messages? Let me read you a couple of quotes. Early writings, page 256. Many who embraced the third message had not an experience in the two former messages. Satan understood this and his evil eye was upon them to overthrow them. And early writings, 188. Those who have had no experience in the first and second names messages must receive them from others. The understanding that we need is not an intellectual doctrinal understanding, it's an experience, experiential understanding that we need. What does that mean? First angel's message says in Revelation 14, 6, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And 14 verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made the heaven, the earth, and the fountains of waters. What we don't understand is what it actually really means. We're told in Spirit of Prophecy in Great Controversy, page 355, that a great religious awakening under the proclamation of Christ's soon coming is foretold in the prophecy of the first angel's message of Revelation 14. Okay? That's the experience, a great religious awakening. Leaving aside the theology, experience. Now my question is, did this happen? Has there been a great religious awakening under the first angel's message? Yes or no? Let me read you something else. This is also from Great Controversy. The first angel's message of Revelation 14, announcing the hour of God's judgment and calling upon men to fear and worship him, was designed to separate the professed people of God. Not the people in the world, let's get this very clear. The professed people of God from the corrupting influences of the world and to arouse them to see their true condition of worldliness and backsliding. In this message, God has sent to the church a warning, and listen carefully, which had it been received, would have corrected the evils that were shutting him away from them. Had it been received? Was the first angel's message received? By God's people? Because it went to God's people. It didn't go to those in the world. Had they received the message from heaven, humbling their hearts before the Lord and seeking in sincerity a preparation to stand in his presence, the spirit and power of God would have been manifested among them. The church would again have reached that blessed state of unity, faith and love which existed in the apostolic days when the believers were of one heart, one mind and one soul and spoke the word of God with boldness. That's great controversy 378. So the first angel's message foretells a great revival. But we're also told that in 1888, that it hadn't been received by God's people. Because clearly, the revival that she mentions was not seen. So we have a slight, a few slight problems that we sort of need to resolve. How is this great revival going to come? Now, let's look at each of these components. 
Fear God, give him glory, worship him, create the heaven and the earth. One of the things that we need to consider when we're talking about fearing God is what are we supposed to fear God about? Now a lot of people, they don't like talking about the judgment because they say, well, we don't have to fear God because he loves us and he just wants to save us. Well, Romans 3.13 says, The rulers are not a terror unto good works, but unto the evil. Will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. God isn't out to destroy us. If we do that which is good, we will receive glory. And God is not willing that any should perish. That we should all come to repentance. So the judgment... It's not something we should be afraid of in the sense that God's out to get us. But, should we fear? Let's have a look at what the Bible says about fear. Philippians 2.12 Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Hebrews 12.29 Serve God acceptably and with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. 1 Peter 1.17 The Father who without respect of persons judges every judges to every man's work, according to every man's work, pass your time of your sojourning here in fear. Hebrews 10.31, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, and God will not acquit the guilty. Let us therefore fear lest the promise being left of us of entering into his rest, you should come short of it. We shouldn't fear God's judgment, but we should fear lest we come short of God's righteousness. And as we read Revelation, there is something we must be very, very afraid of. And we read about that in Revelation 3, 17 to 20. I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. Knowest not that thou art wretched and blind and poor and naked? Be zealous therefore and repent. And Elgy White says that we should fear, this is Christ's object lesson 161, that we should fear lest self shall interpose between your soul and the great master worker. Fear lest self shall mar the high purpose that through you God desires to accomplish. Fear to trust your own strength fear to withdraw your hand from the hand of Christ. So there is something we need to fear in this judgment. It's not God. We need to fear ourselves. We ought to be terrified that just like the Jews in Jesus' day, we might be so blind to our true condition with God that we see no need for repentance and deceive ourselves that we can see while treasuring up for ourselves wrath there's only one thing that can heal our blindness. We often read, buy me gold, try in the fire, and I sell, and we say, well, what's all that? I used to wonder as a child, how do, how do I buy I sell? Where do I get gold, try in the fire from? Oh, that's love. Yeah, well, how do I get that? Where did that come from? How do I get it? Well, the reality is that the only way that we can see, the only way that our blindness can be taken away and our wretched self-satisfaction be taken away is through repentance. It's the only means. The true fear of God is expressed in repentance. As, we, as I've read many times before, 9 Manuscript Release, page 300, every believing soul is to conform his will entirely to God's will and keep in a state of repentance and contrition, exercising faith in the atoning merits of the Redeemer and advancing from strength to strength. The true follower of Christ will feel the need of continual repentance and faith. So repentance is the true fear of God. You see, without repentance, there is no fear of God. Likewise, without the fear of God, there is no need for repentance. So the first part of the message, the fear of God, is all about leading us to repentance. The second part is to give glory to him. How can we give God glory? Is it by doing good works? Like we read in Matthew 5.16 So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Well Jesus said that the Jews were destroyed while doing good works. 
You know, he said to them, Matthew 23, 5, all they do works they do for to be seen of men. Is it possible for us to distinguish which works glorify God and which works glorify ourselves? Is it a matter of motive? We say, oh, but I have good motives and God accepts my motives. Well, the inquisitors like torturing people and burning them at the stake with good motives. They believe they were doing God's work. As they say, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. In the case of Israel, because of their iniquity and sin, God scattered them through the nations. Now, having been scattered, well, they were going to be good Jews now and keep Saturday and everything. What does the Lord say about them? Ezekiel 36.20 He said, And when they entered into the heathen, whether they went, they profaned my holy name when they said to them, These are the people of the Lord. So all of their keeping of the law only served to profane God's name. So how do we give God's glory? Review and Herald, 21st of February, 1809. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, the Saviour declared. These good works will begin to appear when the experience of repentance and conversion is brought into life. Not until then can words and works glorify your Father which is in heaven. What is that experience of repentance that glorifies God? Well, we read about it in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn over their sins. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. And this experience is only the fruit and evidence of continual repentance. The next part of the first Samuel's message is the everlasting gospel. What is the everlasting gospel? And I've asked many people, what is the everlasting gospel? Oh, well, you know, you must come out of Babylon. You know, you must keep Saturday because Sunday is the mark of the beast. Really? Was that the everlasting gospel? Is that what Adam and Eve believed? What was the everlasting gospel for Adam and Eve? Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 1, page 49. The angels of God were commissioned to visit the fallen pair and inform them that probation would be granted to him in which through a life of repentance and faith in the atonement of the Son of God, he might be redeemed. Spiritual Gifts, Volume 3, 295. The system of sacrifices was to teach man humility in view of his fallen condition and lead him to repentance. And page 50, Adam's life was one of sorrow, humility and continual repentance. And what did Jesus preach when he came? He said, repent and believe. That is the everlasting God. It's not faith alone. I believe. It's not faith and works. I believe, but I keep the law. Unless you repent, your belief is worthless. Unless you repent, your keeping the law is worthless. Repent and believe. Now, the next part of first angel's message that the Arabian's judgment is come. What is the correct response to the message that the hour of his judgment has come? What is that response? Because the hour of his judgment is represented by the Day of Atonement, a day in which the Jews either had their sins forgiven or they were blotted out from among the people. And it says in the typical service, while high priests is making atonement for Israel, all required to afflict their souls by repentance of sin and humiliation before the Lord, lest they be cut off from among the people in like manner, all who would have their names retained in the book of life should now in the few day, remaining days of probation afflict their souls before God by sorrow and true repentance. So we see that the first angel's message of the four parts in it, three of them, are a call to repentance. The next part is a part to worship the Creator. And we know that that's a call to worship on God's Sabbath day because the Sabbath is a sign that God sanctifies us. It's a sign between those who serve God and those who serve man. And how, how are we sanctified? Is it by doing good works? Maybe it's by just believing that we're sanctified. I believe I'm sanctified. 
How does sanctification happen? What is sanctification? Isn't sanctification becoming more and more like Christ? And how does Ellen G. White say that we are transformed into his image? She says that the only means by which his redeemed subjects can be transformed into his image is through repentance. Continual, ongoing repentance. Continual, ongoing denial of self. All right. So that's the last part of First Angel's message. And so we have a summary of the First Angel's message. It's a call for a revival of the everlasting gospel. Not faith alone, not faith and works, but repent and believe. It's a call for a revival of primitive godliness, that primitive Christianity. As John the Baptist said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I start by saying that the first angel's message is a revival, a great revival. We read Great Controversy 355, a great religious awakening. And we read 379, the spirit power of God would have been manifested among them. What does Great Controversy say in 464? Before the visitation of God's judgments upon the earth, there will be among the people of God such a revival of primitive godliness as has not been witnessed since apostolic days. The spirit and power of God would pour out upon his children. Many both ministers people gladly accept these truths which God has caused to be proclaimed this time to prepare people for the second coming of the Lord. This seems to imply that the first angel's message will be preached again, but this time it will be accepted. And who, who is it preached to? People in the world? Anyway, what was the second angel's message? Second angel's message. And then there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of her wrath of her fornication. Has Babylon made all nations drink of the wine of her fornication? What is the wine of her fornication? It is the Sunday, the false Sabbath. Has all nations drunk of that? No. So we've been preaching second angel's message since summer of 1844. However, has the condition been met for the second angel's message to be preached? No. She has not made all nations drink. Does that imply the second angel's message is going to be in the future? Let's look at the third angel's message. Well, anyway, here's a quote. Great controversy. The second angel's message was first preached in the summer of 1844. Um, and the underlined bit, she had not yet made all nations do this. Not until this condition shall be reached and the union church and state with the world shall be fully accomplished will the fall of Babylon be complete. The perfect fulfilment of revelation is yet future. Of course, we have the third angel's message. The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fine brimstone in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. And when does this take place? Well, it can't take place until that time comes that no man might by or sell save the, he that had the mark of the beast. And if the second angel's message hasn't been yet fulfilled, how is the third angel's message being fulfilled? So, are the three angel's messages in the past, or are they still in the future? first angel's message was preached in the years leading up to 1843. Was there a revival of apostolic Christianity then? Has the world drunk of Babylon's wine? Has the mark of being been imposed? Has the hour of God's investigative judgment begun? Well, yes it has. But does that really make any difference to us? After all, he's judging dead people. So, at this point, I basically want to make it very clear that what I've been saying is not just my ideas. The Reverend Herald, 31st of October, 1899. The first, second and third angel's messages are to be repeated. 
Manuscript Release, Volume 16, page 27. The first, second and third angel's messages will need to be repeated. And Bible Commentary, Volume 7, 9, 7, 1. After the seven thunders uttered their voices, the injunction comes to John as to Daniel in regard to the little book, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered. And we're not told what they are, but we are told this. These relate to future events which will be disclosed in their order. The special light given to John, which was expressed in the seven thunders, was a delineation of events which would transpire under the first and second angel's messages. But it's not would transpire in 1844. She says future, which means that the first and second angel's messages are still to be given in the future. Andrew White says that it's not the theory that's going to be given in the future, but the experience. The Lord has declared that the history of the past shall be rehearsed as we enter upon the closing work. Again and again I've been shown that the past experiences of God's people are not to be counted as dead facts. We are not to treat the record of these experiences as we would treat last year's almanac. The record is to be kept in mind, for history will repeat itself. The darkness of the mysteries of the night is to be illuminated with the light of heaven. That's publishing ministry 175. So the question is then, well, who's going to give the first, second and third angels' messages? If they're going to be given in the future, they have to be given by somebody. Who is it? Are we giving the third angels' messages with power now? Let's be honest. There's lots of anti-depression seminars. There's lots of healthy cooking seminars. Where's the three angels' messages? Who will repeat them? Now, we're told in letter 79, 1900, 7 BC, 978, that he has sent the first, second, and third angels' messages, and these angels represent those who receive the truth and with power open the gospel to the world. Who are they? We're told, manuscript release, volume 16, page 40. The whole earth is to be lighted with the glory of God. The pure in heart shall see God. It is those who are following the Lamb whithersoever he goeth that will receive power from the angel that came down from heaven, having great power. The first message is to be repeated, proclaiming the second advent of Christ to the world. The second angel's message is to be repeated. So told that it's those who follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth that are going to give the first and second angel's messages. Who are those that follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth? Do we know? What does Revelation 14, 1-5 say? And I looked, and behold, a Lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his Father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from among the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. Who is it? It's the 144,000 going to give the first and second angels' messages. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and the Lamb, and in their mouth was found no God. So, we know that the first, second, third angels' messages are going to be repeated. Oh, we know that it's the 144,000 are going to repeat those messages. Now, how is it that 144,000 can be sealed before the three angels' messages are given? Well, you notice that in Revelation 14, what appears first? The three angels' messages or the 144,000 being sealed? 144,000. What does the Spirit of Prophecy tell us? The Testimonies, Volume 8, page 301. Blessed is he that readeth, and they which hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Not in the past. Not in the past. Three angels' messages are in the past, but they're not in the past. They weren't fulfilled in the past. Time is at hand. The solemn messages that have been given in their order in Revelation are to occupy the first place in the minds of God's people. Nothing else is to be allowed to engross our attention. Now when we read Revelation 14, do we see that 144,000 are first sealed before the strangest messages are given? Or do we just say, oops, I don't understand why that's there. 
Let's go on. When will the three angels' messages be repeated? They're repeated after 144,000 are sealed. And the other thing we read is that they sing a new song. They sing a new song. Now, if we know when the 144,000 are sealed and we know when they sing a new song, then we know when the 300 messages uh, will again be repeated. Do we know what it means when it says they sing a new song? Can we know when they sing a new song? Well, let's do a little bit of reading. River and Herald, 10th of June, 1902. After Christ's ascension, the disciples gathered together and after 10 days of heart-searching self-examination the way was prepared for the Holy Spirit to enter the cleansed, consecrated soul temples. Every heart was filled with the Spirit. Places that had been barren and desolate sounded forth his praises. Believers, reconverted, born again, were a living power to God. A new song was put into their mouth. Even praise to the Most High. Now when, when did this take place? This is Pentecost. Ten days after the ascension. The outpouring of the Spirit in the days of the Apostle was the, what? Former rain. So, the new song is them receiving the former rain. We also call it the early rain. Okay? Former or early rain. What happened at Pentecost when they received the former or early rain? Bible Commentary, Volume 6, 1055. In the work that was accomplished on the day of Pentecost, when the former or early rain was poured out, we may see what can be done by the exercise of faith. Those who believed in Christ were what? Sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, Revelation 14, 1-5, 144,000 are sealed and they sing a new song. Okay? Desire of Ages 296, talking about the same event. It also sealed the fate of the disciples. They continued to the end to share his trials and learn lessons. They weren't perfect. They continued to learn lessons and make mistakes. But their fate was sealed. By beholding Christ, they became what? Transformed into his character. That's what the sealing does. It guarantees that you will be transformed into his character. On this day of divine appointment, again Pentecost, the Lord graciously poured out his spirit on the little company of believers who were the what? On the day of Pentecost, they were the what? The first fruits. Well, that's the third identifying mark of the 144,000. They're sealed, they sing a new song, and they're the first fruits. And it all happened on the day of Pentecost, which is when the early or former rain was poured out. Okay? So the question is then, when does the early rain come? Because if we know when the early rain comes, then we know when the sealing takes place, and then we know when the three angels' messages are to be preached again. When does it come? Now, I've spoken to many people who say, oh, I received the early rain when I was baptised. In the Bible, we have many examples of when the former rain was given. Because after the disciples received the Holy Spirit, they would then give the Holy Spirit to other people. So, for example, after Pentecost, Philip, the apostle, went to Samaria, and you read about this in Acts chapter 3, and preached the gospel. All the Samaritans were converted and were baptised. But did they receive the Holy Spirit? They did not receive the Holy Spirit. Later, John and Peter were sent to Samaria to give them the Holy Spirit. And there was a certain man there called Simon Magus who had been baptised and he swore Peter and John giving the Holy Spirit and said, I'll give you some money if you give me this power to give the Holy Spirit out. It's a very clear example here that people are baptised in the church, believe in Christ, not today's wishy-washy, come along or we'll baptise you even if you don't know what you believe in. But believers in Christ were baptised and they had not received the earlier or former rain. Then we have the example of Cornelius. Now, you remember the story of Cornelius. He was a Roman centurion. Was he baptised? No. But what happened? God sent Peter to Cornelius, and as soon as Peter started talking to them, the Holy Spirit fell on all of them. Had they been baptised? No. So it's very clear in the Bible that baptism of water and baptism of the Spirit do not occur at the same time. Okay? 
The early rain is not what you receive when you were baptised, if you receive anything when you were baptised. So there is no evidence to suggest that baptism is the early rain. So the question is then, when does the early rain come? Now, everyone in the church has been baptised, well not everybody has been converted. And people who have not been converted will not receive the earlier form of rain. In fact, Jeremiah 5, 24-25 tells us that there is a set time for God to pour out the early rain and the latter rain. Lord, our God, that giveth the rain, both the former and the latter in his season, he reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. He gives them in his season. There's a time for it. But your iniquities have turned away these things and your sins have withholding good things from you. Now, we also know that the early rain will be poured out at a particular point in time. Those who do not receive and appreciate the early rain will not see or understand the value of the latter rain. And if we do not place ourselves in an attitude to receive, that's future tense, both the former and the latter rain, we will lose our souls and the responsibility will lie at our own door. When then does the early rain come? The early rain must come when the judgment passes to the living. Because if the 144,000 are sealed when they receive the early rain, that means their fate, we read before, is determined. Their fate is determined, it's sealed. That means they've been judged. So it must happen when the judgment passes to the living. And when does that happen? Second Bible, seven Bible commentary, 976. The Lord has shown me clearly that the image of the beast is to be the great test for the people of God by which their eternal destiny is, will be decided. So if the image of the beast is when our destiny is decided, and if our destiny is decided when we are sealed, then that is when judgment passes to living. Those three things happen at the same time. And we know that that happens when the National Sunday Law comes. We read before that the disciples were the first fruits. And we read that the 144,000 are the first fruits. So my question is the first fruits of what? What happens with the disciples? They were the first fruits of the Christian church. Were they the only ones? No. There was thousands upon thousands thousands of Gentiles that were converted. And so in Revelation, we read chapter 7, And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And after this, I beheld a lower great multitude, which no man could number. These are also sealed, but they're not the first fruits. They're sealed because the 144,000 go out and preach the first, second and third angels' messages with power. And they accept the gospel. What's the gospel again? Uh, believe only? Faith and works? No. Repent. Believe. And they accept the gospel with power and they also will be sealed. So once they're sealed, the, the 144,000 repeat the first, second and third angels' messages. And so the question arises, well, why, why is it in Revelation 14 that it says that 144,000 are in Mount Zion in heaven? Why? Well, let me suggest to you that it's exactly the same reason that the first, second and third angels' messages are given by the angels in heaven. Is that where they're given? No, they're given on earth. Who gives the message? Is it the angels? No, it's human beings. In Revelation 14, you know, we, we've read about you know, the seven churches and we have the seven seals and we have the seven trumpets and we have the seven last plagues. But did you know that Revelation 14 has seven voices from heaven? And these seven voices are all about things that happen on the earth. They're not about things that happen in heaven. Here are the seven voices. 144,000 singing a new song from, where do we hear them from? From heaven. 
Then we have the first angel in heaven saying the hour of his judgment has come. And the second angel again flying in the midst of heaven saying Babylon has fallen and fallen. And then the third angel again from heaven saying if any man worship the beast. And then there's another voice from heaven saying blessed are the dead which die in their Lord from henceforth. And then there's another voice says thrust in thy sickle and reap. And this comes out of the temple that's in heaven. And finally the last voice from heaven. Another angel cries out and reap again and cast the clusters of the vine into the winepress of the wrath of God. And so what we have done as a people, we've taken Revelation 14, chopped that up in little pieces, put them all here, there and everywhere and we have not realised that there are seven voices from heaven. Now why is this important? Because the messages are given in their order. And if we understand Revelation 14, we understand the sequence of last day events. What is the fifth voice? And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed dead which die the Lord from henceforth. When does that happen? What well, happens after the mark of the beast? Because the time of the trouble is when the no buy, no sell law is imposed. And we read in Review and Herald, 19th of November, 1908, the time of trouble is about to come upon the people of God. Then it is that the decree will go forth forbidding those who keep the Sabbath of the Lord from buying or selling and threatening them from, with punishment, even death. This is when we read in Revelation 13, 15, as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And third selected messages, 3, 9, 7, many will be imprisoned, many will flee for their lives from cities and towns, and many will be martyrs for Christ's sake in standing the death in the defence of truth. This is the fifth angel. It comes after the third angel's message is proclaimed. And then we have the sixth voice. And I heard another angel come into the temple crying a loud voice, thrust in thy sickle and reap. And what is this, this harvest? Bible Commentary, Volume 7 again says, John the Revelator in vision saw beneath the altar the company that was slain for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. After this came the scenes described in the 18th Revelation when those were faithful and true of all from Babylon. After this. So that's the sixth voice of heaven. The fifth voice was the martyrs. And the sixth voice is what we would call the harvest or the loud cry. Seventh voice from heaven is, of course, another angel which had power of fire and cried with a loud voice and had a sharp, sharp sickle saying, Thrust in thy sickle and gather the cluster of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle in the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast into the great winepress the wrath of the earth. So we see two harvests. The first is a harvest of what we would call the wheat. Second, we have a harvest of what we would call the grapes. Now the wheat is harvested when? In the middle of summer. When is the grapes harvested? They come at the end of summer, beginning of autumn. What is the harvest of the grapes? Well, the harvest of the grapes is the harvest of the wicked. Now we read in Isaiah 63 about this, Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone, for I will tread them in my anger and trample them in my fury. So we have this twofold reaping, and this twofold reaping is reflected in Christ's parable of the wheat and the tent. Because remember, the the servants want to go and take all the tares out first. And the master says, no, 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 lest when you pull the tares out, you take out the wheat. So what he says is, go gather the wheat into the, into the barn and then bundle up the tares to be burned. And so we, we have this twofold reaping. Now, as I said before, in Israel, the grain harvest started in, in May, just after the falling of the latter rain starting with the Feast of the First Fruits and ending around Pentecost. The grapes are not gathered until summer's finished, around the Day of Atonement. 
Now I just want to look at lesson from history. If we go back, we've seen that the outpouring of the former rain in the days of the apostles is a representation of the sealing of the 144,000. If we go back to the New Testament, we have the apostles sealed and preached the message. And after they started preaching the message, we had this martyrdom of Stephen and James. What, what was the fifth voice from heaven? Blessed are the dead. And that led to the conversion of Saul, and Saul became Paul, who went out and converted the Gentiles. So after the martyrs, we have the great harvest. Not of the people in the church, people in the world. So the sixth voice, the loud cry, represents the eleventh hour workers as well. I'm reading Youth Instructor, February 1392, at the eleventh hour... The Lord will call into his service many faithful workers, self-sacrificing men and women will step into the places made vacant by apostasy and death. They'll go forward in the master's service, moving steadily onward and upward, carrying the work forward to completion. So we, we, we take a lesson from history and we can map it out like this. Revelation 14 on the left, Israel on the right. 144,000 singing a new song. That's the sealing of the disciples on the day of Pentecost. The message that the hour of his judgment has come is the message of the apostles preaching to the Jews saying, repent that your sins may be blotted out before the day of refreshing shall come. In Acts chapter 2 verse 19 I believe. Again remember the first sentence message is called to repentance. What happened after that call of repentance when the Jews rejected that? Well, the second angel message is preached, which is Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and this is the warning of the disciples that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. And we know that the disciples warned the Jews that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed because what was the reason they used when they killed Stephen? What did they accuse him of? They accused him of preaching that the temple would be destroyed and the city. So we know they were preaching that. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. In this case it was Jerusalem is fallen, is fallen. What was the fourth voice from heaven? Mark of the beast. And the mark of the beast we know comes when you are forbidden to buy and sell. And this is the time when the disciples are now persecuted. This is the time when probation closes for the Jews. This is the time when James is martyred and when Stephen was martyred. And then we have the fifth voice, well, the martyrdom um, of Stephen and James. And the sixth voice, thrust in thy sickle. This is the gospel going to the Gentiles and the harvest of the earth was gathered with Paul and the eleventh hour workers, the Gentiles that joined with him in preaching the gospel. And finally the wine press of the wrath of God and the grapes gathered together and cast into the wine press. What was the wine press? It was the city of Jerusalem where Christ trod it in his fury and in his anger. So we see that the events of Revelation 14 mirror the events in the New Testament following the death of Christ leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 that the events leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem are the same events that lead up to the destruction of the world. Now, last time I preached, I spoke about the seven feasts. You remember that, I hope you haven't forgotten. And once again, I showed that the events of the seven feasts are a delineation of the experience of God's people in the very last days. Well, if that's the case, then they must also parallel the events in Revelation 14. Remember the 144,000 singing a new song? In heaven, it's because they have been sealed. And what was the Passover? It was the sign that was put over the, the doors of the Israelites when the destroying angel came that he would not destroy them. Their destiny was sealed. Their fate was determined. Those without the mark, well, their fate was determined too. Now, I'm not suggesting that the sealing for everybody 
happens now. This is only the ceiling of the 144,000. There are others still, the grand multitude still, but not the 144,000. They are still first because they are the ones that receive power to give the first and second angel's messages. And the first angel's message goes to whom? God's people. Not the world. That also coincides with the beginning of the early reign. Because the early reign is that which seals God's people. <coughs> the hour of his judgment has come. Well, that's the parallel of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We saw that it's related to the National Sunday Law. The hour of his judgment, because that's when we know the judgment is past the living. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread was the separation from sin and sinners. This is the message that goes to the church that leads those who are to be sealed to separate from those who are the tares, the wheat from the tares. The great shaking that we read about in Spirit Prophecy. The second name is message, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That corresponds to the message of the first fruit. That this time, some will come out of Babylon and join the 144,000. Not a lot, just a few. A few. They're the first fruit from the world. They're not the first fruit of those who are sealed, but they're the first fruit from the world. Then we have the third angel's message, the mark of the beast. And that falls around the same time as Pentecost. And Pentecost, we saw last time, was when the censor is cast down. It's when probation closes for God's people. When all of God's people have been sealed either for salvation or for damnation. One of the two. And that is also when the latter rain falls because we're told that latter rain will not fall on an impure people. Then the message of blessed of the dead, well, this coincides with the feast of the trumpets. When the people in the world are warned that their probation is going to close and the loud cry with power calls out from the world those who are to come out. Then thrust in thy sickle, well that's the close of atonement, when all of those who are to be saved are harvested and probation closes. And finally the winepress of Ross, well this is the Feast of Tabernacle when God's people well, they're 144,000 because those who aren't martyred will flee into the mountains and into the wilderness in the time of Jacob's trouble. Now, there's this quote. 1888 Materials, page 803. By his spirit, the Lord has given the very instruction that is needed at this time. The special movement under the messages of Revelation 14 in relation to the past and the future, the closing work of Christ in heaven and of his people on the earth, has been unfolded. Has been unfolded to you. The warnings, reproof and instruction given by the Spirit of God are needed by all. There is need of an awakening, a searching of heart in the light that God has given. Revelation 14. What is the message of Revelation 14? If I was to summarise the message of Revelation 14, well, if Ellen G. White was to summarise it, while the investigative judgment is going forward in heaven, while the sins of penitent sinners are being removed from the sanctuary, this is talking about those who are living. Penitent sinners are alive. Okay, it's not talking about judgment of the dead. There is to be a special work of purification, of putting away sin among God's people upon earth. This work is more clearly presented in the messages of Revelation 14. Hopefully it's been a little bit more clearly presented in your minds. Because we know those who delay a preparation for the day of God cannot obtain it in the time of trouble or at any subsequent time. The case of all is hopeless. Do you get to pick when your name comes up in the judgment? Do you get to say, look, Jesus, put me at the end. I'm at the end of the queue because I don't want to be, I want to be the first guy on the exam because I'm a bit dodgy. Put me at the end. Let me see how everybody else goes and I'll feel better. Do we get to do that? We have no choice. 
If the Lord has decided that your name comes up first, what are you going to do about it? Who, who are those whose names come up first? 144,000. Not just 144,000. There are other names that come up first, but they won't be in the 144,000 because they won't receive the seal of God. They'll receive the mark of the beast. But if your name comes up first because God has determined that he wants you to be amongst 144,000 and you're not ready, that's not a very good place to be. I assure you. The case of all such is hopeless. In a little while everyone who is a child of God will have his seal placed upon him. Oh that it may be placed upon our foreheads. Who can endure the thought of being passed by when the angel goes forth to seal the servants of God in their foreheads? Now you might say but I'm not ready. I'm not good enough. Who is it that will be sealed? Is it those who are perfect? Manuscript Release, Volume 1, page 370. Are we striving with all of our God-given powers to reach the measure of stature of men and women in Christ? Are we seeking for his fullness, ever reaching higher and higher, trying to attain to the perfectionist character? Trying to attain. When God's servants reach this point, what, the point of perfection of character or the point of trying to attain the perfection of character with all our powers they will be still in their foreheads the recording angel will declare it is done the question is are we striving with all our powers or are we doing it half-heartedly just yeah, every now and then when I remember oops yep I remember there's a investigative judgement I better do something and then forget about it because I'm watching TV or having too much fun browsing this internet surfing Will I be still? But few had chosen to accept it. And as mercy's sweet voice died away, fear and horror seized the wicked. With terrible distinctness they heard the words, too late, too late. Today, go about the work, else you may be one day too late. Will the sealing angel pass you by? Let us strive with all the power that God has given us to be among the 144,000. So Revelation 14 tells us a lot more than just that, you know, Rome is evil and Sunday is bad. It tells us a whole lot more than that. It tells us that if we are not ready, we will miss out. Because the first angel's message goes to whom? To the world? goes to us and a great revival is foretold we're also told that the whole church will not be revived it will not be revived a few will accept the message a few will repent a few will strive with all their might to reach the perfection of character in Christ and I urge you to be among that number 144,000